Welcome everybody to Strategy Cafe. Um, I'm really pleased to be here. Obviously I'm working from home. You can tell from my background that I'm working from home uh, this morning. I guess most of you probably are working from home as well. And my, my goodness me, how the world has changed over the last uh, week or so for all of us. <clears throat> so um, although we're planning to interview Richard Burge um, in a second, um, Richard is a mate of mine and uh, a wonderful chap and uh, chief executive of the London Chamber of Commerce International, so uh, Commerce and Industry, so we can, but he can tell you all about that in a second. Um, we, we are going to take a moment just to slightly change course during the interview this morning and discuss what's happening right now and London's response and um, you know, while you're listening today, um, you will see on your dashboard, if you have a look on your GoToWebinar panel dashboard, <coughs> excuse me, there's an area for questions. Um, put your questions in. It's a good opportunity just to talk this morning and we'd be really pleased to talk a little bit more. Um, so um, throughout the webinar, if you fire your questions in, I'll keep the questions area open and as Richard and I just debate, you know, how to tackle the challenge in front of us and what London's going to do and uh, what the stages might be, none of us know, um, we can pick up some of your questions and fire them in and see if we can find some answers for you. So it'd be great, great to, to have those. Um, we're gonna run up to the hour. Um, you can stay on uh, at nine o'clock until maybe 10 past nine if you have questions for Richard at the end. If there's more questions, we'll stay on for them. It seems like a good opportunity. So. So why not? And um, if you found some of the content from today's session useful, uh, it'll be up on our YouTube channel and on our podcast channel. So you can share it with your colleagues and maybe play clips from it if you find some of the things we talk about today helpful. Um, please, please do. So this month, I'm really pleased to have uh, Richard with us. We, uh, we met in a cafe, which I'm just gonna chat about in a minute to talk about uh, his new gig as chief exec of the London Chamber and he was talking about some of the fundamental things that the Chamber does which I, I didn't know and um, although I've done quite a bit in world trade I have to admit my innocence and not knowing what a carne is so um, we decided to give this the title of what even is a carne so we'll get to that a little bit further down the track um, which is which is really interesting and actually very interesting in connection with London's post Brexit trading role in the world um, and its position in terms of documentation of, of, of transport and freight. But we'll come back to that. Um, Richard, welcome to Strategy Cafe. Thank you. Uh, really delighted to have you have you on. Um, really enjoyed talking to you recently and um, um, you know getting a little bit closer to you. You and I, uh, you've helped me out quite a bit with the World Traders on our Tacitus lecture this last year and I'm looking forward to to doing the same in the in the following year but this is in your proper guise as chief executive of the london chamber so tell everyone proper guys uh, yeah tell everyone about you and about your role and a little bit about your background before the chamber would be would be really yeah. useful uh, okay yeah i'm um, so um thanks very much nick i i run the london chamber of commerce this is week nine so it's quite interesting i'm learning how things are done normally uh in an atmosphere where things are not being done normally I'm in the office, although there's nobody else here. We've this is our first day on complete remote working, except for a team, one particular team, which I'll come back to in a minute. Um, but a few of us are in just to make sure the whole thing does stand up and doesn't fall over. Um, yeah, so the job of the London Chamber of Commerce is to be the voice of business. I think our community, our tribe, our people and businesses who are in London, because it is a world city. That's why yeah. they're here. 
So yeah. they're either working in that world city dimension or they're servicing that world, the companies who are working in that uh, dimension. Um, and so, yeah, we do what, what Chambers of Commerce do, which is provide advice, provide access to information, give people the opportunity of meeting, develop new ideas. Uh, so we're going through quite a radical change in the way we do that to make ourselves a much more 21st century organization. But we also have this um, business side, which is the issuing of trade documentation and customs documentation. So certificates of origin and carnets. And um, so certificates of origin in many countries now are still bits of paper attached to the side of a, of a, a container uh, or to a package. Um, right. But there's also carnets, which are documents which enable you to temporarily take kit into a country and it sort of and take it out without having to pay any bond or any money to it on the understanding you do take it home with you you don't quietly sell it around the back of the the, the shed um and i give you a good example of people who use that are formula one teams I and mean, they have carnets all over the place for the kit they carry carry around the world and we issue those um and we are authorized to issue that through a number of international treaties and also through um agreement with hmrc and the Treasury. So uh, that's what we do, and we run that as a as a business which supports the the charitable, not for profit endeavour of the the overall chamber. So that's what we do. And tell us a little bit about tell a little uh, a little about your your background. There's a if, if you look at the slide here, there's some you know some key bullet points. So just uh, just yeah. in like you know thirty or forty seconds, just this the career is quite quite varied. Well, you could call it a career or you could call it one gullible employer after another, really. Um, <laughs> so I, uh, yeah, I've, I, I, I've, I've been very fortunate. I've had a, a sequence of jobs which I've really loved. I became a chief executive when I was 36, running the Zoological Society of London, just wow. as it fell over into very public uh, chaos with a famous fly on the wall documentary by Molly Deneen. Uh, and then I moved from there to running the Countryside Alliance, which was basically demos up and down the country. That was huge fun. I saw one end of this country to another, and it was such a privilege. Then I ran my own business for six years. Uh, my wife and I lived in France, uh, rebuilding a, a house which could have made a Channel 4 documentary on its own. Um, but I worked mostly in Africa when I was doing that. And then the financial crash came. Like a lot of businesses, I found it really difficult. But also I found it really important. I suddenly realized I was quite lonely, that clients mm. are not colleagues. And mm. uh, and I realized that it was important in my life, not just to be part of an organization, but to have workmates. And mm. clients can't do that for you. So I went to see some headhunters and said, will anyone treat me seriously? And the foreign office did and asked me to come and run Wilton Park, which is uh, mm. in the Sussex countryside. And we used to say our job there was to put people around the table to talk about things they really didn't want to talk about with people they really didn't want to talk about those things with. Uh, so anything with grit in the international system, be it uh, conventional warfare, weapons of mass destruction, arms, uh, human rights, economic, uh, environmental stuff, anything where there was a problem. We just, our job wasn't to negotiate solutions, but our job was to actually get people back in the habit of engaging and talking with each other. Amazing. And so that's it. And then I left that. And now I'm running the London Chamber, which is huge fun. I've got lots of lovely colleagues. Great. Well, look, we'll come back to the Chamber. We'll come back to the Chamber. So when um, when when you and I chatted, uh, I mean, I know I was terrible. I was uh, slightly late, and uh, we managed to get grab a coffee in Carluccio's, and we were just uh, uh, chatting Very about this. I don't normally dine in Carluccio's. <laughs> um, they did lovely toast, if I remember correctly. Um, and um, we uh, so so my curiosity in in interviewing people about uh, about their careers and about leadership is uh, you know what are the key moments in life 
um, there's the analytical uh, side of things, isn't there? But you know, fundamentally, there's always the human side. There's always the human side, the human spirit, and mm. um, you know, uh, most people who have developed in leadership have had uh, to tackle some fairly significant challenges, and they've had some big learnings, some sort of pathway changes along the way. I think you just mentioned one in passing in that in that opening bio. But the one we uh, and I was asking about, you know, you know, um, deeply emotional moments. Uh, you talked about at some point in your career being hauled out of a car in uh, in Beirut at gunpoint and um, how that has given you some different perspective on life. So just tell me, tell everyone about what happened and how how this has affected you. Well, you know, it, there are thousands, tens of thousands of people in this world who have gone through that experience at least once. And uh, there are thousands of people who go through it every day of their lives and they can't avoid it. And the screen you've got in front of you is, is Beirut, a remarkable city. Uh, that's it rebuilt. When I was going there, there was a big band through the middle called the Greens, the Green Line, right. which is basically, it looked like photos of Dresden after the war. And I was working with the British Council, having to go back and forth across the Green Line. One side was, was held by largely by Hezbollah and others, and the other side was held by sort of Christian militia. And it was one of those things coming back through the Green Line uh, one night, um, a roadblock appeared in the middle of it out of nowhere, and uh, within seconds I was outside the car. And uh, and it was, the, it was at a softening stage, the hostages were all being released, but it was one of those moments and a couple of hours sitting there where, uh, you know, you sort of thought about being in your own company for quite a long time. Um, and so, yeah, it did have an effect. And I think the effect, though, came that I realized that, you know, it, it put things in proportion for me. I, uh, but other other incidents have. Um, but also, what? I think the most important thing for me is that I knew people went through this day in, day out of their normal lives and that yeah. I, along with every leader and person in the world, had a responsibility to try and make sure this in some way stopped being a normal part of life for so many thousands and millions of people. What went through your mind, you know, when uh, when you were stopped? What was going through your mind and how, I'm curious as to how, how you, if you remember it, how you were reacting? Well, the main that. thing was, you know, you, 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 you sort of prepared for this. You go on courses before you go to places like this. And the thing is not to panic. Uh, yeah. Not to not to do anything irresponsible. To remember that you know there are other people around you, and if you do something stupid, they are possibly the ones who will bear the the serious consequences, not you. So think about others. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is just put your mind in a place where this could go on for some time. You know, it's it's the army use this this phrase, hurry up and wait. So get in a queue and just anticipate it landing there. But you know, yeah. we all go through this. Every one of us has one of the, it may not be as visually spectacular as getting pulled out of a car in Beirut, but it um, everyone goes through this. I mean, I remember, you know, one of the big experiences of my life was was our son going on his first tour of Afghanistan. It was a combat tour and, you know, you'd sort of wake up in the middle of the night and know that he was on patrol somewhere. Um, but then you you also then have a responsibility to, to try and help people balance that because people can be unnerved by talking to you because they've got that experience. And my son, was great like that. He always send back messages and things. He, I remember him once sending back a message. Said, "Dad, we just come back from patrol." He said, "You can't believe how beautiful the Hindu Kush is when you're looking at it from the Helmand Valley at, in the morning. The yeah. sun shining off it, and just things like that 
you know, put put things back into proportion. There is there is beauty in the world, even in disaster. I think it's uh, these are these are just great lessons uh, for us all. And um, we did talk about maybe just uh, picking up on this. And um, you know, this is this is this is where all leaders are now. Um, you know, helping. One of your jobs as a leader is to, I guess, is to hurry up and wait. Um, we were chatting about it just now, and uh, I uh, one of the methods we use or ways of thinking about it um, is that whenever there's a big shock where the world suddenly proves itself not to be the way you thought it was, you know, reality hits you in the face with a big slap. One of the first things that happens for most people is is that they will panic. Um, they will be shocked. They'll be angry. Um, so it's a very emotional moment of fear, fear and anger, um, and um, you know we are already seeing some of that, obviously. Mm. And uh, the you know the world is a very different place today. And um, then it takes a while for people just to settle down um, and gradually mm. sort of just accept that the world is the way it is now and sort of adjust to the new reality. But there's some really good lessons in what you're saying for people you know, going through that turmoil. Mm. Um, and I think in a leadership position, you've got additional responsibility because you um, have to be prepared to try and give the lead to those around you and not let the consequences for them be led by their yeah. feelings. Yeah, I, you know, I think the main thing in these situations, I think there's two important things to try and just put in your mind. And it can be really hard. It can be really difficult. But there's two things in, you have to put in your mind is, uh, first of all, do not do this alone. Find a buddy. Find somebody to talk this through with. Do not sit yeah. on your own. I mean, I remember during the foot and mouth crisis when I was in charge of the Countryside Alliance, our big fear were farmers sitting on tractors for hours just with their own brains running around these issues. And it's just a ghastly feedback loop with yeah. nobody interrupting it. Um, so don't be on your own. There's always somebody you can talk to. Um, they may not fully understand it, but explain it to them. And the process of explaining it can often just give you a bit of clarity uh, and a bit of proportion. Um, second thing is, yeah, put it in proportion. You are in a country which is not going to allow you to starve. Uh, and this is not a war. People are not going to appear on the streets shooting you. So uh, put, it, put it in a bit of proportion. Give yourself a, a sense of, you know, this is not as big a disaster as it can be in elsewhere. And that's not feeling sorry for other people, but it's also just giving yourself a bit of balance. And the, the final thing is, you know, I'm just going to sound a bit clear, but do you know where this quotation comes from? Out of the ashes of disaster, grow the roses of success. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lovely quote, and I'm going to suggest it's from some sort of ancient Greek warrior of some sort. Well, sort of, I suppose. It's actually from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Um, so I'm, I'm not very well educated, but I, I do remember things <laughs> in films. Um, and it does. So think about, OK, I'm in this position. How do I now? This is where I am. I can't change that. But how do I change my future? How do I think about things? And when you think about bringing things out of growing roses in the ashes is think about, OK, how do I plan that? How do I make sure I've got my resources lined up? You know, Do a proper bit of business planning. I think one of the things I find very curious is people who are sole traders really don't plan their businesses they just go from uh, things to saying i was on the bbc last night and i was being guided around by a young guy who's basically an actor and he was jobbing for the bbc and yeah. i said so how do you do you think about yourself being a business and he said well no i just do the jobs i said why don't you plan your business i said plan yourself so when you're not you know, in a Hollywood film, which is where you want to go to. How do you do that? What do you do in the meantime? How do you keep, keep cash flow going? Think of yourself not just as a, a hired hand. Think of yourself as a business and plan it. And yeah. the process of planning can 
sort of takes you away from the, the the problem you're in and it gives you a sense of purpose and mission and drive and get up and go for things but the real thing is please don't do this on your own try and find a mate try and find a friend talk it through and and my appeal to people who are on the other side of that is if somebody comes to you and say i just quite like to talk this through be open to it create the time that is yeah. what community is about and if you go back to Beirut you know at the time in Beirut and, and other places I've been to um, the thing that has enabled those communities to come out of it is, a, is, is that sense of community is the sense of people not in an organized way but in a just a human way of giving time to each other yeah. give you yeah. know being a sense we're here we're here for you hugely important so we're doing we're doing some of those things. We're gonna you know organizing using these online tools. We're organizing whole company meetings, um, you know, across various different companies just to let people talk. So just before we move on to talk about the chamber, I just want to chat about a momentary uh, about about emotions, about feelings. Mm. <clears throat> One of the things that we uh, like to encourage people to have in in their leadership kit bag is a grown up relationship with feelings because there's no such thing as an unfeeling human being, right? Nope. And we all know that uh, actually you you need those you know you need motivation you 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 need a sense of hope um, you know some of the things that are fundamental fundamentally emotional states for us are what give us our drive and our purpose and our you know our way forward in life. But we all know also that <clears throat> that things can go in the opposite direction. You can have a lot of negative feelings that really knock knock things apart and divide us. And um, I always say, you know, unless you can talk about those things and have a grown up relationship with them, then um, certainly in business, but in almost, you know, in any in any in any human community, um, it becomes very difficult. So um, I think your your points about talking it out and and dialing those down or, you know, letting letting them come to a standstill uh, are good ones. I, I like the, the comment earlier on about needing company. I think it's a really good point for the for the moment is to make sure that we reach out and give everybody company and a chance just to talk mm. and maybe just don't judge people for their feelings at the moment and just let them let them say how they're feeling yeah i think there's a very again it's another quotation but this is from so if you like slightly more literary source uh, and it's one i've used quite a lot you know in positions where i've been having to go and talk to people like People running the British Council Library in West Beirut and places like that. There was, um, and it's about your behaviour as a leader. And it comes from Henry V, and it's the chorus. And he's talking about Henry before uh, Agincourt, and he says, "And forth he goes and visits all his host and bids them good morrow with a modest smile. Upon his face there is no note of how dread an army hath surrounded them, nor doth he dedicate one jot of colour unto the weary and all watched night." And this is when Henry's going around in disguise, just talking to people, being available um, and being that listener. So I think the danger of a leader is going around and being incredibly optimistic, saying this is all, this is dead easy. Um, what Henry was doing was going around and just being accessible and sharing the burden, uh, but at the same time saying, we will get through this, we can get through this, it's not gonna be easy, there's gonna be some really hard things, there are going to be people we're talking to tonight who will not be with us by the end of the day tomorrow. And uh, so it's a realism, but it's also a sense of determination. Uh, and you're giving people a sense that it will be difficult, uh, but they have somebody, they have a leader who will see it through and will be with them. And 
So I think, you know, Henry before uh, Agincourt is a good role model for us all. It's it's a wonderful, wonderful quote and um, really, really great advice for everybody out there to listen to and go and, and use. Um, and we're just into the early stages of this, so it's all very ambiguous and how it will unfold uh, is uh, unknown. So I really like your army quotes. So you just tell me the army quote again, get busy queuing or get busy waiting. No, <laughs> Hurry up and wait. Hurry up and wait. Okay. All right. I, think I, I was never in the army. My father was in the army and my son is in the army. So my wife and I live in Acronym City. Remember, that's a profession <laughs> where nobody uses joined up handwriting. Complete waste of an education. You know, I love it. So Acronym City, the new, the new chief exec of uh, the London Chamber is bringing us into Acronym City. And there we go. So let's talk about that a little bit. So um, I'm just curious, moving on about, um, you know, we will get through this and we'll come out the other side. And um, London has an incredible, incredible strength. And you talked yeah. a little bit earlier on about uh, what seems like a monopoly um, to me of um, these carnets, uh, et cetera. So just come back to that and tell us a little bit about what that underlying sort of infrastructure in world trade is. Um, you're talking about motor racing, which I thought was a really interesting example. Well, I think it's about, it, the trouble is it's sort of quite 21st, 20th century because it assumed yeah. most world trade is about things being taken around the world. And of course, mm -hmm. one of the challenges I've now got and, and I think is really exciting is the most the things that go mostly around the world are people's ideas and their intellectual property. That's what we trade mostly now. That's yeah. what services is about. Oh, um, you don't need a carnet for that. We, you don't need a carnet for that. Um, you need a visa. Um, okay. or, or you need you need a webinar link um, okay. so yeah, sure. but also you need documentation and you need a legal system that protects your IP so you yeah. need proper contracting so I see our organization moving and it was in the process of doing this anyway but curiously out of the ashes of disaster this incident may give us a huge opportunity for, for accelerating this very fast we um, moving to a world where we, we are looking at how do we ease the flow of trade in ideas and brilliance um, recognizing that actually the flow of trading goods is becoming it's still hugely important it's still hugely big but in proportion it's now has another world that has to be dealt with um, it's, it's not a, a monopoly it's one of those things which is sorted out the chambers of commerce around the world have a role in this um, and they actually issue it on behalf of, of governments um, and so it's just a simple system we um, we run it very deliberately um, and we work with other chambers of commerce around the country who we support in doing this um, in order to to make sure that uh, it sort of supports our overall charitable endeavor. We don't have shareholders. We're not a distributive company. So in the end, all this money goes into our good causes, really. Right. Um, so that's basically what, but I think the exciting thing is now is, is um, how do we do that? So I think there are two, two huge advantages London has. Um, and in saying that London has it, that means we've got to make sure it is, a, because London is part of the UK, the UK has the advantage of this and London yeah. is its tool. And I, I really, one of the things I really worry about with London is it gives this impression to the rest of the UK that the rest of the UK should be grateful for London. No, we need the rest of the UK. In yeah. the financial crisis, if it hadn't been for people all across Britain running small businesses, trading, growing crops, um, selling goods, making things, we would in London would not have been able to raise the international capital to get through and to raise those massive loans uh, to get through the financial crisis. It just would not have done. Um, banks would have gone to the wall because we, the great thing we have in the UK is an economic and social hinterland and it's called Britain. Yeah. So we've got to make London work for that. 
But I think what the, the huge thing that London can bring in the new world we face is two things. One is in the 15 years it's taken us to fail to negotiate the great multilateral trade round of Doha, nearly yeah. 200 bilateral trade agreements have been signed. So we're in a bilateral world. They all have their own rules and regulations. And I think London, in the same way as London dominates and will continue to dominate the foreign exchange market, it is the natural place because of the ecosystem here to, to basically create the world in which we create the management, the wherewithal, the means by which uh, those international trade documentation, be it for intangibles or, to, or manufactured goods, is run from here. We provide the we provide the engine to enable that to happen. And I think London as a community has really got to get together and make sure we exploit that. Um, and then the second um, thing I think comes out of that is, is arbitration and mediation. Right. Um, Contracts are going to get much more complex, uh, more people, and there are more businesses in the world trading ideas. They're going to need contracts. The problem with contracts, when it says in that last paragraph, if there's a dispute, we resort to the laws of country X, means you're immediately into their legal system. It's incredibly complicated, takes forever, and is expensive. So arbitration and mediation becomes very important. I think London has a huge, huge advantage over any city in the rest of the world, is that we have judges in London who basically uh, are completely independent uh, and objective and enforce contracts. So this is the place where arbitration and mediation should take place because you can go to an arbitrator, you can go to a mediator, and you know if the other party turns around and says, I don't like the result of that, I'm going to go to court. You know they are almost certain to lose because the judge will say, "Was did you sign on the dotted line and say you were gonna go to arbitration? Did yeah. the arbitrator come from a recognized source? Yes. Get out of my court and, by the way, pay the other person all the costs. So, so this becomes the logical place to be the world's center of arbitration and mediation. So those two things, running the way the world does trade in terms of um, the, the documentation, and that's particularly around new documentation we're going to need. We're going to need documentation about the emissions burden that goods carry. We're going to need documentation that guarantees um, that modern slavery hasn't been involved in the process. We're no longer looking at a certificate of origin being there is an origin and it goes to country X. We're looking at chains of custody going one to the other. So how yeah. do we produce documentation? So I think yeah, we are we are the ecosystem that can do that standing on our head. Um, yes. So we've just got to get our act together now. And curiously, I think this episode is giving us a huge opportunity to set this up. I think that's uh, so. Um, one, of, one of the things one of the things we've been talking about uh, to everybody is, um, you know, uh, get get on with your digitization. And um, oh, God. yeah, part, partly that's about this. It's about speaking to people using the tools that we have available and widening your network and widening, you know, shortening the wasted time on journeys and widening and deepening the relationships using the tools that we've got. And some people yeah. have done that well over the last few years, but many people haven't really done that. And actually, just going through this crisis has been a huge shock to the system because everyone has had to get their online tools together and ready for working from home. Yeah. Um, just that first step, uh, you know, assuming everyone makes it through the crisis and comes out the other side okay, which we all will, but it'll be different. We will. We all will, but it'll be different. Um, I think the culture will change towards this because an enforced quarter or six months of working in this way, people will get so used to it. Mm. I'm just interested in that digitization agenda going forwards. That must be a key part of like, moving away from a clerical world trading kind of methodology yeah. to digitized must must yeah. be something that's going to happen. I think it is. It's happening anyway. 
the point is how do we how do we create how do we use this ecosystem in london to yeah. make britain the center of doing that in our bright new world that we face i yeah. you know I, you know we spend so much time looking back and thinking well only if something had been different well it might have been different uh, but it ain't you know i have this sort of slightly scientific approach that i think history tells you nothing about from describing where you are it provides you with precious little advice and takes up a lot of airtime uh, I think it's the future that matters, and we can we can look back and say, well, we could have done that better. We could, fine, use that if that's going to be helpful in terms of making decisions for the future. But all of it's going to be is casting blame and saying, well, it could have been so much nicer. Well, that's we are where we are. End of story. You know, plan for the future and keep planning. It's always a plan B. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I feel that um, there's an awful lot of meeting of minds in um, the uh, coming at some of the core concepts about, um, you know, crisis management, how to handle a crisis. Yeah, we should have coffee and colleagios more often. <laughs> but also, you've got a, you've got, we call it radical honesty, just, you know, just facing the world as it currently is and then dealing with it practically, which maybe is the soldier's way of doing it and seeing the beauty in the little things. Something that you said I think earlier it's also on. admitting. It's, the, the, the other thing is, if you're in leadership, admitting you get it wrong. You're not perfect. Yeah. Um, and it's, just it's, yeah, whoops, whoops, did that wrong. And I, yes. I can look back on my career and I can, you know, quite easily list all the things I wish I'd done. I wish I'd done completely differently. But there you go. You know, finally I keep that in my head and don't do that again. We learn from those things. It's we been it's been great. Yeah. So look, um, everybody, um, it's been wonderful interviewing Richard this morning. I'm just conscious that we're coming up to the hour. Um, uh, if you have questions out there, um, you, there's a panel area uh, on your GoToWebinar dashboard. Um, please feel free to ask Richard questions. He's been um, kind enough to stay on for a few minutes past the hour just to answer any questions you might have. And if you want to ask us any questions, you know, while we have you, uh, you're completely welcome to, and we'll do our best to, to discuss them and stay on for a little bit. So um, thank you very much, uh, everyone who's come on. Um, please put your yeah, questions in, you. we'll take them. Um, but just wrapping up, so um, next one is on the 23rd of April, just after Easter. Um, uh, you're all gonna be working from home still, I think. So there should be time to come and listen to the wonderful Henry Rose Lee, award-winning speaker, entrepreneur and author. Um, she talks a lot about generational transition in family businesses and diversity. And she's got some just very, very interesting things about her that uh, inform her um, her uh, thoughts and her contribution to leadership. And it's really worth tuning in to listen to yep. to her. Um, so um, there'll be a link kind of coming up. Um, sign up for the link and share it around. And hopefully these things will give you a little bit of brightness in uh, what might be otherwise somewhat gloomy times. And um, we'd love to have you on board and um, just talking about all of these things. Um, meaningful Human Leadership, we had this booked in for the 18th of June. Sold out, I heard. Sold out. <laughs> well, we will we'll come back. Uh, meaningful Human Leadership will come back probably sometime in the new year. Um, it depends on the timeline for us being allowed to come back into large groups together. But as soon as that's open, we'll put it back on and we'll have tickets open again. And we look forward to seeing you at Meaningful Human Leadership some point in the future. So it's not cancelled, it's just delayed and uh, we'll come we'll come back to that. Um, so I um, hope you all have a wonderful uh, day and we're just going to pick up some of the questions. So I've got one question here. Um, during the webinar, Richard, you talked about planning. Are there any particular tools that you use um, for, for planning? I'm guessing this is business planning. This is from John Ford, who's been listening this morning. And um, 
over what period uh, do you use them? Okay, um, uh, this is going to sound triple. I, the biggest tool I have is a fountain pen and an A3 piece of blank paper. Uh, I really, you know, that that's just me. And I constantly plan, constantly do new charts. And also I tend to plan quite visually, um, uh, tend to, you know, do block diagrams. This is what I want to do. These are the sorts of things I want to do, but it's, it's, it's personal taste. So I, I couldn't recommend a particular piece of software. I, I just tend not to use it and rely on people around me putting it into a form that everyone else can understand. Um, the over planning, over planning period, I try and, you know, do a lot of detail. You know those maps, those those posters you get when it says the view from so and so, and it's incredibly detailed everything around you. And then as you get further and further, you get big things which are sort of quite vague. Um, I I plan in that way, sort of. So try and get the detail in the day to day. And as you get further and further, don't plan it in huge detail because you know it's going to change. You know, yeah. it's like it's like the usual thing. You know, every every plan, no plan survives first contact with the enemy. Um, so um, keep you know, keep that, don't devote a lot of effort to that, just sort of know the direction, know, know where the Emerald City is, so you can approximately know how to follow the yellow brick road, but don't worry too much about putting the individual bricks in the yellow brick road, the further it is away from you. Um, and, the, and the other thing, I think, which is very important, I think, um, is particularly at the moment, cash, 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 plan your cash flow, look at where you can cut costs, look at, be prudent and realistic about your revenues, and just know the reality of it. It is always better to be surprised by joy. So, you know, be ruthlessly realistic about revenue, be incredibly brutal about your costs, um, and, but know the truth, know the truth. Don't labor under a delusion, particularly at the moment. Don't sugarcoat um, it. Don't sugarcoat it for yourself. C.S. Lewis there, I think, it's one of my favorite phrases. Um, surprised by joy. Um, yeah. and question, question from uh, from uh, David Gray. Um, uh, um, referencing your colleague's point earlier on, you know, what is it about working in a team that drew uh, you out um, of your own business? Um, loneliness. I felt incredibly lonely. Just mm. really, really lonely. Mm. And I don't like. I, that's why I would have been an incredibly useless hostage. Um, me, me and the radiator, you know, awful. Um, but spent all my time to my guard, it would have driven him nuts. Um, no, it's just loneliness. Interesting. Um, so, and just tell me, so what's coming up? I think you're on your last day in the office today for the yep. London Chamber, and you're going to be a digital business. Well, sort, sort of, because we still have to have people coming in because I'm afraid trade documentation is still in the 19th century. We've still got people with seals and, and things like that. And great, the reason we're doing that, great news, is people are still exporting. Yeah. People are still selling goods and people yeah. are now thinking, how do I get good? China's now coming back online. I'm thinking, how do we yeah. get those goods over here? How do I yeah. add value to them? How do I sell them on? So that's yeah. good news that I've still got to have staff in here doing that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I will be operating from home uh, and uh, the banner will be slightly different behind me. And um, yeah, it's uh, a lot of time talking and keeping engaged with my people and also the time to plan, the time to think creatively, the time to think not a, and it will not be business as usual when we come out we have decided here in the chamber yeah. that when yeah. we when we come out of this this will be a radically different organization that will wonderful come, not be business wonderful as well. that's your emerald city um 
and your way back home. I love it. Um, Eloise asks, um, how does loneliness working for yourself compare to the loneliness of being the top person in charge as a CEO when the buck stops with you? Um, you I think there is a, 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 a difference between you know the buck stops with you and I, you know, I've been in that for a lot of my life and with I'm not in a job now where I used to be where you know people's very lives could revolve around decisions I made. Um, yeah. I'm not in that position now. Um, but I think there is a huge, for me, a huge emotional difference between not having colleagues and colleagues. I mean, I, I'm still the chief executive. I don't share that role. I don't share that responsibility. But the ver that physical feeling of having colleagues around you is hugely important to me. I don't feel lonely as a chief executive making chief executive decisions. I really don't. Interesting. But that's, that's me. Really that's me. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Saying everyone should feel like that. No, it's just, uh, that's you. It's just authentic. So, so, look, thank you very much. How have you enjoyed the webinar this morning? It's been brilliant. Thank you very much indeed. Thank yeah, you very I much. Really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed having you on. It's been a well, lovely discussion. I'll so. do this. My corporate mud. <laughs> so, everyone is still on. Uh, this will be up shortly in our YouTube channel and on our um, podcast, the audio version on the podcast. And if you want to watch the slides in the video version and see me and Richard and be curious about our backgrounds, um and send us questions on those things you can just watch the video version on on youtube and um i um look forward to um seeing you all um uh on, on the next one with uh, henry rosley uh, and seeing you online more frequently so hope you have a good day um stay safe everybody who's still listening uh yeah. wish you all health and happiness and um um, we were listening recently to um, doctors talking about this and talking about how, you know, in the depths of uh, uh, difficulty, good humour is really important. And so, so we don't try, and, try and keep in good humour, try and find yeah. the blessed in the moment and uh, not not to ruminate too much and not to listen too much to the to the news. But obviously take it seriously, but still try and keep keep good humour. It's good for our health. To stay in good spirits. So get outside in the morning. Listen to the birds are starting to sing now, and the sunrises yes. are gorgeous. Yes, yes. And reach out if you've got any problems and yeah. you want to talk. Just reach out. And be accepting to people who reach out to you. Yeah. Wonderful. Great comments. Thank you very much, and uh, hope you have you, a good Nick. morning, everybody.